so much for tuning in for another episode of the Dunker Punks podcast. My name is Emmett Wachowski-Eldred and I'm one of your hosts. Every three weeks this summer, co-host Kiana Simonson and I will be switching off and reintroducing episodes from our Dunker Punks podcast archives produced by Dylan Del Haro on the topic of gender. This series is accompanied by a fantastic and thought-provoking small group curriculum, which you can find by going to bit.ly slash dpp underscore gender. Once again, that's bit.ly slash dpp underscore gender. We suggest a $25 donation for using the curriculum, which was also written by Dylan, but please do not let costs stop you from making use of it. This week on the show, we're diving into episode 15, Gender is a Galaxy, for part two of our series. I have to tell you that Dylan's episodes on gender are some of my favorite episodes in the history of the Dunker Punks podcast. I am so grateful for the chance to re-explore these episodes along with our DPP listeners this summer. Dylan is a talented and thoughtful producer and interviewer, and his careful attention to such a fraught but essential topic as gender have made for some of the most popular and well-loved episodes in DPP history. I actually still remember the first time I listened to Gender as a Galaxy. I remember being impressed and intrigued by Dylan's production, but most of all, I remember being deeply moved by the experiences and reflections shared by his two guests, Jonathan Bay and Stephanie Mott. Their lived experiences as a transgender man and woman, respectively, offer a vital vantage point into the intersections of gender identity, faith, and the church. 
they, more than most, have had a chance to think deeply about what gender means to them, how they choose to express gender, and how God's vision for their lives could not have been fully realized until they managed to express themselves as God created them to be, rather than how they were assigned to behave at birth and how the church and those around them expected them to be. I remember listening and feeling blessed to have heard it, affirming that yes, lifting up these stories and heeding these lessons is exactly what being a dunker punk is all about. I was moved once again by this opportunity to listen to Gender is a Galaxy with fresh ears these few years later. Like so many others, I have been inspired and challenged by this political moment that we're in to think deeply and carefully about gender identity and gender privilege. I am grateful now more than ever for the witness and the lives of Jonathan and Stephanie. To hear them again was a welcome and much needed delight and nourishment for my soul. Enjoy. It's easy to overlook stories that challenge what we think is true or beautiful. There is a story in the Bible which I never knew existed until recently, and I think Megan Rammer describes it best in her paper, Fashioned in Love. When Jesus sends the disciples into Jerusalem to prepare the Passover feast, which will be their last supper together, he instructs them to look for a man carrying a jar of water. This can be found in Mark 14 or Luke 22. And because the cultural gap that exists between the text and us, we miss what ancient readers would never miss. Carrying water in jars was strictly women's work. It would have been socially improper for a man to do so. Some commentators have said this is the equivalent in our times of Jesus instructing the disciples to look for a man wearing lipstick and a skirt. While it would be anachronistic to suggest this man may have been queer-identified, he was certainly transgressing a strict gendered boundary in his behavior. Some have posited that indeed the ancient version of queer space in ancient Jerusalem would have provided the safest place for Jesus and his band of troublemaking radicals, since the boundary transgressors would be well-practiced in evading the attention of religious and political authorities. End quote. The Last Supper was the First Communion, and a person who transcends gender was there before the disciples arrive. This person was an indication of the place where Jesus would proclaim the New Covenant. Have you ever heard this story before? At first I debated on whether or not I should say anything in this episode. I think the voices you're about to hear speak for themselves. But it's only polite to introduce my friends to you. and. I'll briefly explain how the audio is organized. One of the voices you will hear belongs to Jonathan Bay. I got to know Jonathan at a young adult conference, and of course, other churchy events. In fact, we did his interview in North Carolina, of all places, during this year's annual conference. The other voice you will hear belongs to Stephanie Mott. She and I met when we were speaking at the same event in Topeka, Kansas. I admire her unshakable spirituality and her strong foundation in scripture. Her recording was taken in her church in Topeka. Most of what you'll hear is taken from these two separate interviews. There's also a smattering of extra thoughts on gender sprinkled in the mix from other authors and organizations. I implore you to listen carefully for God to speak to you in a new story. So, without further ado, Gender Episode 2. I'm excited about what Dunker Punks are doing. I think it's... It's interesting, and this is 
this is an accessible way for the church to kind of learn what other people believe in the church because I, like the first gender podcast I was I was happy to hear how diverse people's answers were and surprised I think I just like I have prejudices too <laughs> and assumptions and I just assume that you know all cisgender people are going to say the same thing, and that's not true. Which is delightful, actually. It's good. It's heartwarming. Okay. I'm Jonathan Bay, um, and I currently work for Women's Caucus and Progressive Brethren and uh, live abroad in Scotland, doing a PhD. Um, and yeah, I think that's all you need to know about me. <laughs> Okay, well, my name is Stephanie Mott, and I'm a transgender woman. I live in Topeka, Kansas. I'm the founder and director of, of the Transgender Faith Tour, where I travel around and share my journey as a transgender woman of faith. And I'm also the director of the Kansas Statewide Transgender Education Project. I am female. Um, and actually, I've thought a great deal about that. That doesn't make that an easier question to answer. It means, to me, it means I get to be who I am today. It means that I don't have to pretend to be hard. I don't have to, I don't have to take on this masculine attitude in order to walk through the world and be seen as who I'm supposed to be. That I, I get to be soft, I get to be compassionate, I get to have feelings and, and express them openly. And I get to I get to just embrace my authenticity in a way that was never possible before. I mean, yeah, it's kind of I mean, it's what it is. That that it, it mean to me it, it's this. Oh, I don't have to pretend to be a man anymore. And and as a transgender woman, I spent many many years pretending to be a man, and I don't have to do that anymore. It's been nine years since I had to do that, and and my life is completely different. It's the difference between night and day. Well, um, I identify as a trans man, um, which I think is constantly evolving as well. Um, so it means that I was born female, assigned, and I decided or figured out that that wasn't really what sat well with me. I was pretty uncomfortable in that bodily experience of being female in the world and decided to transition to male and but I don't I don't feel like it's it's you come out you do a medical transition and then you're done. I think that mm. it's it's an ever evolving process. But I I think that would probably be true even if you were cisgendered, which means that you're the you're born the way that you identify as well. I, I think that gender is it's a complicated and complex process. We don't have we don't have the right words to define a lot of these things and we're still coming up with new words about gender. Gender refers to the attitudes, feelings, and behaviors that a given culture associates with a person's biological sex. Behavior that is compatible with cultural expectations is referred to as gender normative. Behaviors that are viewed as incompatible with these expectations constitute gender nonconformity. The American Psychological Association. Biology is a component, um, and then what you choose to do to your biology, I would say, is also a component. Mm. Um, because not all trans people choose to transition the same way. So I chose to medically transition by using hormones and I had a gender reassignment surgery. Not everybody does that. And the way that you live into that gender, into your body in that gender, is different for everyone. And I, the way that I wanted to transition when I first started transitioning is not the way that I would now if mm -hmm. I got to do it over, I think. I think first off, we have to get away from the binary. 
we have to get away from the idea that there are just one way, two ways to be human, male and female. And if, if as long as we're stuck in that binary where there's only two ways to be human, then it puts that construct of gender into the into these boxes that don't really fit the people who are forced to occupy those boxes. Mm. Any people, not just transgender people, but all people, very few people would actually fit exactly in those boxes where every aspect of them fit in, in either the male box or the female box. We have to understand that there are so many different aspects of who people are and that we have such great diversity among all of every other aspect of who people are that it totally makes sense that we would have diversity in the aspect of gender. And so it becomes, actually, if you don't put labels on it, it just it becomes an expression of who you are, and it kind of fits in a spectrum somewhere, but it doesn't, it doesn't limit it to existing within that spectrum at any point in time. That it can, it can move anywhere, it can be anywhere, um, and, and it happens daily. It happens daily for every person. There are times, there are times when a woman feels like wearing jeans, and there's time when the same woman feels like wearing a skirt. And that doesn't make her more or less of a woman. And that just means that she's in one place at one moment and she's in another place at another moment. And if you take that scale and, and move it instead of somewhere there near the box of fem female and move it somewhere closer to the middle, then you can actually get a, that same scale, exactly the same idea, that some people might sometimes identify more as masculine and sometimes identify, mm. identify more as feminine and, and want to need to express themselves more in a in either masculine way or a feminine way from one day to another. It's nebulous because it's socially constructed and it's self-constructed and it's, it's part of your environment. Like, your male is different than my male is different than my parents, like my dad's male. And all of those are still male. 1% of people are intersex, meaning one out of every 100 people have a body that differs from standard male or female body. People who are intersex may have unique chromosomes and or hormones and or sex organs that curb the prevailing gender binary construct. Statistic from Intersex Society of North America. God created all of this. And, and in my opinion, that for me to for me to imagine that God didn't know what God was doing when God created me would be a strange way for me to look at that. The, the idea that people will come up to me and ask me, do you think God made a mistake? And I'm like, no, I don't. Do you think that God made a mistake? Because here I am, and God created me as I am. And what part of me, you know, I mean, how do I see myself as a mistake? And, and I did for a very long time. I did for a very long time. Not really a mistake, but my inability to be the person that I thought I was supposed to be and I couldn't be that person because it wasn't who I was. So it took me a while, but I got to this place where I understood finally that, that no, this is what God wants me to do. God wants me to live authentically, to be the human being I was created as. And um, again, you look at all the diversity in, in the world, in the universe, and, and in human beings and, and the creation of God and and wonder how we could have all this diversity in other forms of creation. We wouldn't have that kind of diversity in that one tiny spectrum of gender when it, when it, when it comes to all of the universe where all this diversity is just accepted as a matter of course. But we put it in the realm of gender and then we struggle with the idea that that diversity exists. I personally consider God to be a 7.8 billion piece jigsaw puzzle. Mm. And that every person on the planet is one of the pieces of, of that jigsaw puzzle. And when we treat everybody with equity, then, that, then we'll see the picture that we can't see today. But, but also, the experience of 
transitioning is really powerful. You're living into yourself. Mm. You're saying that God created you as you are and, and letting that be good. Well, I mean, for the first 48 years of my life, faith was, was this barrier to authenticity, me being able to, to live in my gender authentically as a woman, uh, because I saw my duty was to fit in this mailbox that I didn't fit into, and I spent most of that first 48 years trying to figure out how to do that, and that was a lot faith-based, because I thought that's what God wanted me to do. And, but then when I was brought into a church, into the life of the church, as a transgender woman, and I began to understand that God was not just okay with me being transgender, but that I actually had purpose to fulfill God's mission as a transgender woman. Mm-hmm. Then that completely changed. And, and to recognize that, that there's so much language in our world today that says you can't be gay, you can't be transgender, and still be a Christian, or can't, and still have a relationship with Jesus, or have a relationship with God. And what I, what I found out is, is I can't really have a relationship with God unless I exist in the way that I was created by God. So this attempt to be male was actually creating a conflict with God. And that I was only able to begin to come into harmony with God when I stopped pretending to be someone God didn't create and started being the person God created. I was not ladylike, nor was I manly. I was something else altogether. There were so many different ways to be beautiful. Michael Cunningham, A Home at the End of the World. One of the most powerful things that I've experienced is um, this trans playwright, Joe Clifford, rewrote she wrote this play called Jesus Queen of Heaven and it's basically a retelling of Jesus's life as if he was a woman or uh-huh. a trans woman instead which I mean that's that's quite a challenging thing to experience if <laughs> if you don't agree with any of this in the first place but it's I, I think what's interesting is that we can retell these stories in different ways and think about how gender affects them and how that affects the story and how that either empowers us or doesn't because I would like to believe God isn't of a single gender, um, right? So being able to, to swap things around and play with that I think is healthy, is a good way to think about it, is a way to experience God. I think we can experience God through gender. Well, I, I think it starts with that. The, the God created everyone and everything, and so therefore everyone is created by God, so part of God is in everyone. So then you put everyone together, you get some not complete, because obviously that's too, way too simplified, but some manifestation of of what God represents, or, or different pieces of God in, in different people from around the world. Um, there are really two basic concepts. One is, the first one is that the, I, there is no real possibility for me to understand who and what God is ever in my lifetime. Um, I'm a human being and God is God and, and, and for me to, to think that I can wrap my head around who and what God is is um, is, is just not going to happen. And, and um, I can spend as much time trying to do that as I want and I can spend as much time trying to figure out what it is that God wants me to do. 
as opposed to spending a lot of time trying to wrap my head around who and what God is. And so to me, that's probably the more important piece of that, that discussion. The other, the other thing, the other thing is the idea of limiting the creator of the universe to these earthly limitations of gender mm. that that bedazzles me quite frankly it it is like god creates everything you know that that it's it's all everything everyone is is from god and by the way we're going to hang some limitations on god we're going to say god has to be male or has to be female has to have a gender at all we're going to say God is vengeful. We're going to say God is angry. We're going to say God is jealous. We're going to say all these things. And I think what we do when we do that is instead is that we try to make God more like us instead of trying to, to aspire to become more like God. Because and, and, I, I just don't see taking the creator of the universe and saying, "Oh, and you're limited to these emotions and you, you know these clothes <laughs> and, and this expression and this gender." Um, but I also I also believe wholeheartedly that this division of male and female into. Uh, more godlike because I'm male versus less godlike because I'm female is is highly destructive to to the potential for the planet to live in God's light. Last night I was seriously considering whether I was bisexual or not. But I don't think so. Todd, I'm not sure if I'd like to be one. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you like a person, you like the person, not their gen gen genitals. Genitals? Yeah, genitals. Genitals? Genitals? Mm-hmm. Genitals. Okay. We were having so much fun saying genitals that we forgot to say that quote is from Jesse Scott, tongue-tied. Well, okay, I think what, to me, what has been really important is carving out time for myself to figure out what kind of a man mm -hmm. I really wanted to be. And I don't think we, we don't really have like a rite of passage thing um, where you get to be on your own. So I, I think the Church of the Brethren is really interesting because, and I've, I've taken some masculinity studies classes, the way that men act in the Church of the Brethren is different than the way that most men act in the world. There's a quietness and self-assuredness. It, it's not about, like a lot of being male is about competition, mm -hmm. or at least a lot of the interactions between men are about competition and showing each other up. To me, that has never happened in a Brethren context. It only happens outside of it. Yeah, but I don't think that's a bad thing because I, I think that it's actually a stronger maleness. Like, it's self-assured, so it's, it's not... It doesn't feel like you're challenged in yourself and therefore acting out in ways that aren't productive. This is an overgeneralization, for sure. Um, and perhaps... You know, it depends on what circles you're looking at. But for the most part, the tenets we have as a church to listen to one another um, and to be in community with one another, that challenges typical American maleness in a good way, I think. Well, I took my time in BVS to figure out how I wanted to be male. Which is, which is why I think that um, it's interconnected. I've, I've looked at strong male figures in my family, which is not brethren, and in my spouse's family, which is 
brethren and then in other brethren people and other queer people and I've, I've kind of cobbled together okay this is how I'm going to be male in the world and I'm okay with that and I, I'm just gonna own it and it and it's okay if if you want to change aspects of that along the way I think people changed lots of other personal things all the time they dyed their hair and dyed themselves to near death. They took steroids to build muscles and got breast implants and nose jobs so they'd resemble their favorite movie stars. They changed names and majors and jobs and husbands and wives. They changed religions and political parties. They moved across the country or the world, even changed nationalities. Why was gender the one sacred thing we weren't supposed to change? Who made that rule? Ellen Whitlinger, Parrotfish. I didn't think of when I was coming out as choosing anything. It felt like living into who I actually was. Mm -hmm. However, I'm choosing how to be male, which is different than actually choosing a gender. The better answer is that some people do choose, and some people own that choice. That's okay, too. I don't, I don't think it's one or the other. So sometimes it, it is reasonable to make that choice and sometimes it's reasonable to to own that you don't feel like you're choosing um, I don't really like the rhetoric of trapped in the wrong body for trans mm. uh, explanations because I, I mean I've been reading some pretty heavy theory about it <laughs> but the best way I can explain it is that that that, that's a metaphor. That's not an actuality, but it's been turned into one. So, so that this metaphor for, it's not maybe the best metaphor, but it's a way to describe something. Sure. Is now being thought of as reality for trans people. Yeah. And, and I think that that is also caught up in this nature versus choice as well. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28 I'm, 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 I'm considering myself to be a feminist in the idea that I believe that all people should be treated equally. And um, I think that's still unfortunately a very important part of feminism and that, that women make less for the same kind of work, that, that women are, are taught from the beginning that um, they can't, they have to dress in a particular way so not to tempt men and, and a variety of other things that are fairly obvious if you look at them carefully. Um, we are taught from, from birth that you've, you do this if you're female and you do this if you're male. You wear these colors if you're female and you wear, don't wear these colors if you're male. And, you know, and I was raised in the 1960s, but I was taught to believe I could do anything. And my sister was taught that, that she didn't need to learn math because she was just going to grow up to be a housewife mm. at the very same time. And although I don't think it's quite that obvious anymore I think it's still present in the, in the things that we tell people about what they can and can't do and science definitely bears that out there are a lot of studies that show that little girls are being told to behave and little boys are being allowed to act out and which creates this power structure even in, in kindergarten mm -hmm. where, where people don't have the where little girls are all of a sudden said no you don't get the same ability to, to do things the same way that boys do it's kind of sad. I personally believe that gender equality underlines every other equality, and certainly the issue of sexuality. For instance, if we didn't distinguish between gender in terms of giving different genders disparate values and attributes, what problem would we have with two men loving each other? By Abigail Tartelin. So, I like to think of it as a galaxy, which is more complex than typically people think of it as a spectrum, where you have male on one end and female on the other, and there's a, sort of a gradient. 
and that's fairly accurate. But you can expand that a bit more to a three-dimensional space, which is kind of difficult to explain. It's all, it's all really about how you identify. It's, it's not, I mean, we take on what the world tells us and what our families tell us and what um, the government is telling us and media, right? But at the end of the day, it's how you think of yourself. You're really the only person that can decide that. There's a tendency, I think, to get panicked about what is male and am I male enough? And yeah, you are. If, if you think you are, you are. If you're worried about that, then figure out why you're worried about that. Gender is not what culture created out of my body's sex. Rather, sex is what culture makes when it genders my body. Ricky Wilkins. Um, well, the Christian, the Christian religion, um, to me, is, is defined by the words and example of Jesus. And the words and the example of Jesus were very inclusive, very much about bringing everybody to the table, giving everybody an opportunity, and, and focusing on those people who are marginalized and oppressed, and giving voice to those people, giving voice to women, and giving, giving voice to anybody who's marginalized and oppressed, and, and, and value human worth to them that oftentimes has not been there for, for people then and for people now that are different than, than the, those people who fall in the middle of the bell curve. Which, to me, that, that means love your neighbor, you know, love God, love your neighbor. And, and actually, you know, in that passage in the Bible, it says, love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second commandment, which is equally great, is love your neighbor as yourself. That goes on to say, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. And which basically says everything comes from that. To me, that's what that says, mm. and and it's like everything comes from this, and and so anything outside of that realm is is to me is not part of what I strive to uh, to how I strive to live as a as a Christian woman. Mm. I, I think the church is evolving, and and I think in every denomination that the church is evolving, as days go by, more and more uh, denominations become inclusive. Um, or at least partially inclusive, and we just recently saw the first openly gay bishop elected in the Western Conference, the United Methodist Church. Mm. Breaking news that, that that happened yesterday, and and so you can see this motion, and it's been happening, you know, in 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 different denominations for a long time. It's just a gradual, a gradual, a gradual move towards equity, towards equality, and then recognizing that all people have value but the there are so many there's so many things we still have churches that, that don't see women as as capable of being pastors or capable of leading the church and 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 so there it's still slow it's still there's progress there because there's a resistance to that and I think there'll always be resistance to inequity and there should be resistance to inequity um I think it's different today than it might have been 15 years ago or 20 years ago because of the advent of the, of the internet and the spreading of the internet and that people are able to find other people with like opinions mm. and, and if people come together in, in unity around a cause, I think it gives them strength. So you see more people standing up to what they see as inequity. So I go to, I mean, I live abroad, I go to a different church that's not Church of the Brethren. And we have quite a strong trans um, membership yeah. and leadership. And um, we talk about how being trans should be celebrated because it's a different experience of the divine, right? You, you've gotten to experience two different genders. And they are, I, I do think that they're different. 
because I experienced the world very differently, female, as I did as I did male, mm-hmm. and I've I've lost the ability to make some connections, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I've worked on like training that back. Outsiders who would follow God should not say, God will surely exclude me from this people. Nor should the eunuch say, I am just a dried up tree. For thus says the Almighty to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose that which pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than daughters and sons. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 5. The story of the eunuch is, I think, that's like the trans text. I mean, we have this rhetoric of saying no to people, and Paul baptizes the eunuch, right? That's not saying no. I, I think, I don't know, I think that's clear. It's, it's very clear. Why are we saying no? I spend a lot more time in the New Testament, and, and was, um, my my thought is to, that as a Christian woman that I'm called to follow the teachings and example of Jesus. In the story of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, 31 to 46, I think, and it is that story of, of the coming of the kingdom, and, and, the, and you know all the nations are gathered before him. And, and and he's separating the people like a shepherd would separate the sheep from the goats and putting the sheep on the right and the goats on the left and then he turns to the right and he says to those people, you know, the, the very well-known speech about if I'm, you know, you fed me when I was hungry and you gave me drink when I was thirsty and, and you welcomed me as a stranger and you clothed me when I was naked and you visited me when I was imprisoned and you cared for me when I was sick. And because you did these things for me, then eternal life is, is granted to you. you know, the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the earth is, is what it says in the Bible. And then Jesus turns to the left and says, you didn't do these things. And so to me, first that's the first thing, is, is ruling out the idea that the eternal life is dependent upon whether or not that I fit into some human created boxes that that uh, Jesus doesn't say in that this is how you go to heaven this is how you don't and and there's no mention of sexuality or gender identity or anything in those verses it's about how do you treat your fellow human being how do you treat my children you know, God is far more worried about how do you treat my children than God is about whether or not I wear a dress, I would think. And, and I hope so. And so I think that, that you know, at first the first step in that process for me as a transgender person is to rule out the idea that there's something wrong with me being transgender. The second step in that process, and I don't know that, but it comes from the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount when, when after the Beatitudes and after the you are the salt of the earth and it's the you are the light of the world. And, and it's basically the idea is that just let your shine, light shine so people can see it. And, and they will see the things that you're doing and they will praise your God. They will praise your creator in heaven. And that's, to me, that's it. That's, that's the validation. It's, it's, it's not really anything else. It's like, what lets your light shine? And for 48 years, I, I couldn't stay sober. I couldn't exist in the world. And for the last 10 years, my light has shined. And, and I know it shines. I can feel it. I can see it. And people can see it. And, and I know it shines. And, and so there's Jesus saying, let your light shine so people can see it. 
So for me, to pretend to be somebody who wasn't me is, is not doing that. To live my life authentically is allowing my light to shine. Thank you, Dylan, Jonathan, and Stephanie for coming together to create a conversation on gender that is every bit as prophetic and incisive today as it was back when you first had it. It is most appropriate that we should revisit our episode, Gender is a Galaxy, during a month when our eyes have been fixed on the stars of the night sky. July 2019 marks the 50th anniversary of the moon landing a triumph of technology and imagination that stretched the borders of reality for humankind. To peer into the depths of space is to peer into a plane whose dimensions know no end, no limit. It is to acknowledge that the confines of our horizons and our imagination measure up to just a speck of dust on the scale of God's creation. Our vision is limited. Our understanding is meager. In the vast expanse of God's creative love, we are but a pale blue dot. When we look up into space, we remember that God's breadth and depth, God's height and width, God's presence and God's steadfastness, most of all, God's love, stretch far beyond anything that we can measure or describe. In the church, perhaps nowhere have we so confined our vision and so ignored the expansiveness of God than on the topic of gender. Gender is black and white, a binary, the most finite category there is, male and female, period. These are the lies we tell ourselves to create an order and a hierarchy out of the vibrant landscape that God intended. To divert from that binary, to transgress gender, is a grave sin. The one we treat as cardinal, absolute. The one we're willing to break apart our own church to observe and to enforce. And so the lie becomes a power structure, a dogma. We even deign to hoist our limited perception of gender onto God, assigning God a gender category, even though God encompasses every diverse expression of gender that we see in the people God created. How else could all people be image bearers of God? It's like closing our eyes every time we venture outside because we're afraid to see the heavens and understand just how infinite God's universe is. But we don't have to fear. The lesson we learn from the vastness of space isn't that because we are small, we are insignificant. No. Despite possessing such limited vision, despite taking up such little space in so precious time, despite being so flawed, God loves us with a weight and an intensity and a force that can only be contained in an infinite universe. So why are we afraid of confronting the same vastness of gender? The truth is, gender can't be sorted on a binary, nor can it even be measured on a spectrum. There isn't one point way over there called masculine, and another point way over here called feminine. It's a galaxy, because only with 8 billion points in space can we capture the complexity of 8 billion people and the combination of characteristics that we fold into the label of gender. And yet God knows and loves each of us in that wide array, right where God put us. In exploring the fraught topic of gender, may we be led by wise and essential voices like Jonathan and Stephanie, who have traversed this landscape and gazed into its awesome vastness with courage, soaked in that mystery, reveled in it, 
rather than hid away from it. May we realize that gender is not something that can even be transgressed any more than we can transgress beyond the limitless reaches of space. And may we look to the one who transcends and encompasses all of gender. And may we hope to emulate a love that reaches out further and further beyond what we can see, beyond what we can understand. May it be so. Thank you once again for tuning in to episode two of our summer series, revisiting Dunker Punk's podcast episodes on the topic of gender created by Dylan Del Haro. If you want to dive even deeper into this topic, check out our small group curriculum. Visit bit.ly slash dpp underscore gender to get started. We suggest a donation of $25, but please do not let costs stop you. Once more, you can visit bit.ly slash dpp underscore gender. My name is Emmett Wachowski Eldred, and I've been your host for today's episode. My pronouns are he, him, his. Our other host for the summer series is Kiana Simonson. Jacob Krause is the guy you heard at the top of the show performing our brand new theme song. He also edits the show. Our show is not possible without the tireless and inspired work of Suzanne Lay. We also want to thank Carrick Van Azelt, who designs our graphics. And I want to give a shout out to Matt Riddle, the new pastor at Arlington Church of the Brethren, who has been a great source of encouragement and inspiration. Arlington Church of the Brethren hosts and sponsors the Dunker Punks podcast. If you want to learn more about the Dunker Punks podcast, please visit arlingtoncob.org slash dpp or go to dunkerpunks.com. You can also find us on social media at dunkerpunkspod. And if you want to contact us, please email dpp at arlingtoncob.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in three weeks.